0: Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. What issues will Catholic healthcare ethics be facing 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? And who will be the ethicists guiding Catholic healthcare systems and providing counsel to clinicians? Lay people, and even the church. Today I'm joined by Kirsten Dempsey, an ethicist in training who very well may be filling this important role in the not so distant future. Kirsten, welcome to our Bioethics On Air podcast.
1: Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having
0: me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. So, our interview today is probably going to look a little bit different from our normal po- podcast in that we're not focusing on a specific topic, which we usually do. But instead, we're looking at the field of Catholic healthcare ethics kind of as a whole, kind of stepping back and looking at it. Now, Kirsten, you know that uh, in the past, uh, we've interviewed uh, Becca Grammels and also Elliot Bedford, two very well-established ethicists in the field. And we discuss their roles and the work they do as a, as ethicists within Catholic healthcare. And after doing those interviews, I, I I said, you know, I'd like to get I'd like to expand on those and get some perspectives, talk to some different people who have different roles or or who are in different stages of their careers. And so, hoping your story, in addition to being very interesting in and of itself, but also maybe helpful for people who are thinking about. Uh, thinking about a career in the wonderful world of of Catholic healthcare ethics. So, with that little introduction in terms of of what we're doing, I ask this Kirsten of every new guest in our podcast: Can you tell our listeners a bit about your background, uh, specifically your education, your work experience leading up to you going to grad school?
1: Yes, yeah. So, thanks again, Joe. Um, I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and I currently live here with my husband. I went to Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas for undergraduate studies. And there I double majored in theology and finance. What I like to tell people is one was my fun major and one was the major to get a job and make a living. (laughs) I know that well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My undergraduate major was in business too. So there we go. We got a lot in common.
1: Yep. Yep. There we go. Yeah, so after college, I came back to St. Louis and started a career in finance, having worked in a few different financial-oriented internships during college. That was good. It it was fine. um, But the investing space, while interesting, was not interesting enough. Um, So I was looking for something (laughs) a little more dynamic, something maybe where I could do finance for a different type of company, like work on their, their budgeting, their financials, things of that nature. Um, but at that time, a position opened up for a project manager at another company in the same building as the financial firm I was working Hmm. for. Um, so within actually a quick amount of time, I, um, like three weeks, I think I was in a totally different role in project management. Um, and that company did more like healthcare, it healthcare information technology. So very much the back end of healthcare, dealing with claims and processing and um, all the things that are interesting and needed, but um, yeah, create a whole different industry within healthcare. So that ended up being quite an engaging role. Um, I worked there for a number of years and worked with diverse teams from marketing, accounting, finance, IT, sales, um, different people in leadership. Um, and then also across the country, we were uh, uh, slightly international. We had a, a, a base or the company that bought us was in India. So we started having our weird hours. We were working very early <laughs> in the morning or very late at night yep. with our, our offshore teams. Uh, but that was a, it was a dynamic role. Um, I got to work with a variety of people, uh, much more responsibility than I had had in the investing space, at least you know for where I was at. And um, it it was good. It was really good. I learned a lot and I definitely developed uh, the skills to bring a project from the beginning idea of some leader that wants to have this new product into a meaningful output at the end, you know, by collaborating with our, our very, uh, very diverse team from all these different departments. Um, so while that work was engaging, um, I still did feel this pull to do something more with theology. I just didn't know what. So I thought, okay, you know, i can I can do a master's degree in theology, and i'll I'll explore what that might that might lead to. so i'll I'll be honest in my head, um, because at this time, my husband and I were dating and discerning marriage. Um, I was thinking, okay, I can work in project management for five to ten years and later teach high school theology while I have a few children and and have that school schedule that allows me to spend more time with kids. I would never have imagined where I would be, you know, just two years later um, from this or three years later now, I guess. So, um, yeah, so I discerned into a master's program. And that kind of kind of brings me more into the, the healthcare ethics space because I started learning about this different field um, through my master's program.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uh, I, I'm listening to you talk, and I'm hearing bits and pieces of my own life coming through here. I, I, I'm just I, I'm wondering, Kirsten, you, how much of this pull that you felt when you were you know you're in the investing space, you were in the this project management um, for this for this company that you moved to. You you said that you you're you had this interest in theology. Was it more than that? Was it was it your faith pulling you to something different?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, Joe. Um, definitely something I wrestled with. I think part of me felt that working in business with a theology degree, you maybe have a little more education and perspective than the average person to have conversations that touch on religion and morality in the workplace that maybe other people. Won't want to have. Um, So in my in my young, you know, post collegiate mind, I thought, well, I can just share my faith in the workplace and also make a good living and be comfortable. Um, But God doesn't always call us to be comfortable. (laughs) No, no. So um, no, he doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) So it it was good. It was good for a time. But yeah, I definitely felt like God was saying, you know, Kirsten, I did put this stirring in your heart to do something that will be uncomfortable and will be harder and may make your first few years of marriage really difficult because you'll be working in, in school, um, full-time on both fronts. So yeah, it, you know, it, it was, it was different, but there's, there was definitely a pull, um, that I could not necessarily describe and that I wouldn't have recognized if, you know, faith wasn't part of my life.
0: No, I, I hear you. I, I think probably a lot of listeners will 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 resonate with that sentiment as well too. All right, so let's let's get back to our interview here. So what got you interested then specifically in Catholic healthcare ethics?
1: Yeah, so during the Master's program that I attended at St. Louis University, I studied the theological ethics research track. Which gave me the opportunity to take some theology courses that were also cross-listed within the healthcare ethics department at SLU. Mm-hmm. I distinctly recall Dr. Toby Winwright talking about ethicists and mission Toby. leaders. Yeah. In his yep. history of moral theology course. But at the time I didn't really understand what they did. So later I attended a presentation by Father Charlie Bouchard at the Aquinas Institute where he talked specifically about ethics and mission roles in Catholic healthcare. And during that presentation, it hit me that this might be a field where my interest in theology and my interest in ethics could combine with the practical applications of business and healthcare. I thought, Whoa, I have, I had no clue that this was a field that you can almost do applied theology in. Um, So after this presentation, I did the same thing I have done every time I consider a new job or a different career path. I prayed a lot, and I talked to people in those roles to learn more about the field and what one might need to become qualified to work in that type of role. I definitely remember talking with ethicists at Ascension, a mission leader from Mercy, different people at CHA. Um, and even within, within the healthcare ethics department at SLU, because I thought, okay, you know, there aren't many doctorate programs in healthcare ethics. And there happens to be one in the city that my husband and I live in. How convenient. Um, (laughs) so when the opportunity arose, I took a course with Dr. Jeff Bishop on philosophical bioethics. And at the time he was the chair of the healthcare ethics department at SLU, um, and hearing the kinds of questions they were asking and the perspectives they were offering, the issues they were challenging definitely drew me in. And it became increasingly apparent that God was guiding me in this new direction. Yeah.
0: And just for our, our listeners, uh, just to, to clarify, SLU is St. Louis University, mm-hmm. right right where you are. I was, I was wondering, um, Kirsten, if you can Tell us give us a little bit of a timeline, so we're recording this towards the end of October of two thousand and twenty so where where are you when you when you first started grad school what what what's the date just to to kind of keep this in our minds here?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, such
0: ancient history, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it feels like it's been a while. Um, I think I'm in my third year of the program, okay. So I would have started 2018, fall of 2018. Yes. Okay. So fall of 2018, I was finishing my master's thesis and I was also beginning the doctorate program at SLU. The program I did, they have a few different um, options, which is is pretty cool. Uh, but the one I did or the one I'm in is the joint doctorate in healthcare ethics and theology. What that means is we take classes in healthcare ethics. We also take classes in theology, and then we write a dissertation that combines those two in some way. So specifically within the program, we do two years of coursework. If you come in with a master's degree, you'd have two years of coursework. You have a semester of comprehensive exams, and then you work on your dissertation. So I finished my comprehensive exams this past spring, and now I'm working on my dissertation. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Cool. So so, so let's kind of go back a little bit. So, if you started the doctoral program in the fall of two thousand eighteen, I assume you were in the master's program two thousand sixteen, correct?
1: Yes, yes. So I you're am.
0: in a you're in about your fifth year, give or take, of graduate studies yes. in this area. No, yeah, no, that that's about right. Actually, when did you get married?
1: Yeah, funny you ask. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so my husband and I got married on the feast day of John Paul II in two thousand sixteen. So October twenty second. And it was wonderful. However, I do not recommend to anyone to work full time, start a graduate program full time and get married in the same semester. That was a bit much, um, just, you know, just a lot going on. Plus we had purchased a fixer upper in St. Louis and just, we bit off a little bit more than we could chew, but, um, it's been a journey and a good one while, while challenging. It's definitely been good.
0: Yeah. No, I hear you. I, uh, I remember I started uh, grad school the same year. I got married as well, too. So, again, there's, a, there's, there's, this, there's all these connections going on. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. All right. all right. So, you're in grad school at uh, SLU, at St. Lu- Louis University. You are now, you finished your comprehensive. So, your are ABD, I assume, all but dissertation. Mm-hmm. And you're writing your dissertation now. Quick step back. Um, what what courses or what specifically did you study in your coursework? You, you mentioned it a little bit, but I was just kind of wondering what what did you what were the courses that you took?
1: Yeah, so there is a, a core curriculum in the healthcare ethics department which covers um, courses on clinical ethics, courses on research ethics, interdisciplinary methods where we're researching um, different perspectives that combine ethics and law or ethics and literature or ethics and theology. Um, a course on religious methods, a course on medicine for ethicists, because most of us do not have a clinical right. background, so that's very helpful.
0: That would have been um, a good course for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it was definitely a good one, um, and my appreciation for what uh, clinicians need to know had definitely grew through that course. Um, and then we also have um, courses on Catholic healthcare, of course, and Catholic healthcare ethics. Uh, we cover, I mean, mainstream bioethics issues from informed consent, end-of-life challenges around organ donation, withholding and withdrawing care, um, artificial nutrition and hydration, things of that nature, um, and consider various bioethical principles from Beechamp and Childress's Four Principles to Daniel Somacy's great article on the Catholic principle of double effect. So we cover the gamut um, of, of issues and, and questions. And then the classes on Catholic healthcare ethics address the Catholic perspective on these issues, um, so things like cooperation, maintaining Catholic identity and mission, especially in a pluralistic society, and other controversial, controversial and challenging topics. So um, yeah, so it's a it's a good spread of of information. And then they also have all the students take a clinical ethics practicum where you spend. Um spread out over three semesters. You spend a considerable number of hours shadowing clinicians, again, because many of us don't come from a clinical background. So in order to be a good ethicist, you need some understanding of of the clinical realities of medicine. So yeah. shadowing in different clinical specialties is is helpful to to formulate that and and get an understanding of the kinds of relationships and and partnerships you'll build with the clinicians um, in your in whatever field you'll end up into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, as you were going through your coursework, did any areas of concentration start to formulate for you? In other words, were were there some things that you were studying that you said, you know, something I'd like to 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 you know learn more about this, and maybe focus my comprehensive exams here, or maybe focus my dissertation here?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So, uh, SLU offers a few different areas of concentration. You can do clinical ethics, research ethics, um, or Catholic healthcare ethics. I would have done Catholic healthcare ethics, but I had already taken most of the courses they offered because I was already at SLU for my master's. Mm-hmm. So, I ended up doing clinical ethics um, because, like I mentioned earlier, when I was discerning this this career change, um, I talked to a lot of different people and. Um, what really drew me in was the clinical ethics perspective. Um, I mean, I'm definitely also interested in the organizational ethics issues because that's much more resonant with my experience in project management and in, in finance before that. But the clinical space, I think, would be a really um, meaningful and valuable way to start because there you're you're treating patients, you're caring for patients, and you're providing ethics consultation for the clinicians that are providing care. Um, And I kind of like to think about it as one amazing thing ethics could do is become obsolete or ethicists become obsolete. Because if we educated clinicians well enough, or if medical schools educated clinicians well enough, we might not need as many ethicists, um, but we do. And especially since we have new technologies coming up and new issues and partnership questions, things of that nature, um, I think there will be a space for ethicists long, long past my time. Um, but focusing on the clinical ethics side of things, I think gives me the opportunity to work more with clinicians and give them the tools to do ethics in, in their spectrum of care.
0: Interesting. How would you say that your curriculum prepared you to work in Catholic healthcare?
1: I think the curriculum prepared me fairly well. Um, I mean, you have a history of theology course, you have more of a philosophical course on bioethics, which often informs Catholic tradition as well. And then we had a course specifically on issues in Catholic healthcare ethics, which covers a broad spectrum of questions. At times, I wish we had more um, topic-specific courses to dive into questions more deeply, because when you're doing a cursory overview, you can't you can only read so many articles. You know, for IVF one day and right. end of life care the other day. But I mean, SLU does give you the opportunity to do independent reading reading courses with a particular professor. So that is a way one can you know pursue a particular research interest.
0: All right. So, does the Saint Louis University program have any internship or fellowship experiences? Uh- Kristen And and if so, are, are you involved with them?
1: Yeah, good question, Joe. So um, SLU often has students working part-time in some capacity. So for them, part-time is 20 hours a week. And they might have students teaching undergraduate healthcare ethics. I got to do that last year. They also might have students doing research with particular professors, which is always exciting because you get to see what other professors are working on and you know, when you when your research interests coincide, that's also really fruitful. And then you have opportunities to publish. Um, but for me this year, fortunately, um, I had been working with Rochelle Barina and others at SSM, um, since early 2019, kind of on a project by project basis. And, um, they decided to connect with SLU to contract for me to work for them for this, this upcoming school year or this current school year. So I'm right now working as an intern for SSM and their mission and ethics department and working on a, a variety of, of things with them.
0: What have you, what have you learned from this experience?
1: I have learned so many things, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to start. Um, I would say it's it's incredibly valuable to have some kind of internship or fellowship for any aspiring ethicist or mission leader, just to understand the clinical realities of medicine, the work that ethic, ethicists and mission leaders are doing, and also having the opportunity to learn from a mentor. I would definitely say Rochelle Barina has been an incredible mentor for me in that way, um, as have Patrick McCruden and Michael Miller in different ways as well. Um, so. Gosh, there's just so many things. Uh, but I mean, earlier on, I would say in 2019, Rochelle would be inviting me to ethics consults. Now I'm participating actively in ethics consults. So I can even see myself growing in the past two years. Um, being a participant in discernment calls for organizational questions, like whether we pursue a partnership with this company or we let this other company lease property, you know, do they. Provide services that we want to offer to our community, um, and then also working on policies. I mean, early in 2019 and throughout 2019, I was helping edit policies and update policies, and recently I wrote my first policy on my own. So
0: that's mm-hmm. been really
1: valuable too to um, to start doing the work of ethics. Um, and in the past, I felt like Rochelle was spending a lot of time educating me and mentoring me, and Now I feel like I'm very much contributing to the ministry that they're doing, which has been incredibly rewarding, challenging and diverse, but incredibly rewarding.
0: Now you're able to do this internship right in St. Louis, I assume, because SSM is is headquartered there, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. So technically, I work for the system office. So we do um, get involved with our ethics committees across our four regions, which covers Missouri, Illinois, um, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin. Um, so I'll be participating f- a lot virtually now um, with oh, yeah. ethics committees, yeah, across our regions. Um, but that's been that's been really insightful too, because we service different communities um, in the different states. You know, some are more rural, some deal with high risk pregnancies, some are more urban, um, some hardly have any consults, some have a lot of consults. So it's been a good, a really good, um, exposure of how we do ethics in different spaces and with different communities. Yeah.
0: Sounds like a very, very good program. And I, and I do, um, I, I very much recommend that people have those experiences, internship experiences, fellowship experiences. I know that other healthcare systems, Catholic healthcare systems have similar types of programs. So for, for people who are, who are interested in, in going into a career, in Catholic healthcare ethics, um, you know, keep these internship and fellowship experiences in mind because they can be very, very, very valuable, as you've said. So, all right, Kirsten, let's uh, move on to your dissertation. You are writing your dissertation right now as we speak, yes. correct? Yes, you are ABD. Mm-hmm. Gotta, you got to love the old ABD. So, <laughs> so let's uh, well start at the beginning. What uh, what is it you're writing about?
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the big question, isn't it? <laughs> How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> um, well, I, I'll try to be somewhat brief um, in, in giving you my, my quick overview. So in my dissertation, I am attempting to offer a very interdisciplinary approach using theology, more specifically virtue ethics, clinical ethics, and business ethics, as well as philosophy of technology, to argue for a broader inclusion of natural family planning and fertility awareness or fertility appreciation methods in the range of options offered to patients in obstetric and gyne- gynecologic care.
0: Um, wow. That's a mouthful. I like it.
1: <laughs> it is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So in this, I'm, I'm looking at informed consent, you know, are we, are we giving patients enough information about a variety of of methods for family planning for them to make an educated and informed decision. Um, I'm also looking at the goods of the patient. I like to um, think of Dr. Edmund Pellegrino, our late Dr. Edmund Pellegrino, who talked about the fourfold good of the patient, where he looked at the biomedical, the autonomous good, so what the patient determines is good for him or her, um, the the goods of the person qua human And also the spiritual good of the patient. And I think this, especially in the realm of family planning, um, can be valuable because we aren't just talking about a biomedical perspective. We're talking about much more than that. Um, So within this, my intended audience is a combination of physicians, scholars, and academically minded physicians and patients um, but I hope to have a chapter that looks at the clinical ethics perspective, um, talking about the different types of patients that would benefit from these methods. And, and within this too, I'm not saying that these are the only option. Um, I, I'm trying to kind of step aside from the uh, the, the types of debates that silo this conversation into pro-life or pro-choice, I mean, those are valuable things to discuss and debate, but that's not what I'm trying to do in my dissertation. Um, so ultimately, I would say I'm, I'm exploring in a variety of ways, tracing the history of the birth control movement, talking about it today. Then I will also look at the way that technology, whether it's through... Um, different contraceptive devices or pharmaceuticals have become the lens through which we view fertility and I ki- I want to wrestle with that a little bit um, and connect that back to an ideology of control that we find um, present in the in the birth control movement along with many positive things um, but I want to wrestle with some of the challenges and then in the theology chapter which, Admittedly, I'll probably bury a little farther into the dissertation because I'm writing mainly for a secular audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the theology chapter, I want to answer why these types of methods often originated from within the Catholic faith tradition. So there I, I can be a little more free and talk about you know, the value of marriage and bring in our theology of the body and, and love and responsibility, things like that. So overall, I would say the goal of the dissertation is to make people more aware of natural family planning and fertility awareness or fertility appreciation methods and bring them, bring them to, the, to the conversation in the clinical encounter more frequently.
0: Yeah, that actually it sounds fascinating. And, and we've, had, uh, we've had conversations about this in the past. And, and I've told you in the past, I said, this, this sounds really interesting. I'd actually like to read this. Would it? it when, no, I would. I really would. I think be very, very interesting. I'm wondering though, what is there something specific that made you choose this topic?
1: I would say, considering what's currently offered to women, I mean, friends, family, and my own experience, there isn't often a conversation about many options. You know, usually right. the option is what contraceptive method do you want? And, you know, when I was 13 and I was asked this question, I said, well, I'm not sexually active, so I don't need anything. But also, I mean, what can I, what, what could I do that's natural? Do I really need to be medicated right now at 13 years old? Yeah. Um, you know, I feel healthy. I don't, what, what do I really need this for? So I kind of want to challenge the status quo a little bit and Also thinking of, you know, the the trends that we see in society, we have so many people shopping for organic foods or Mm -hmm. organic feminine products. And if that's how we want to eat, might that also be how we want to care for our bodies um, medically and in terms of our fertility?
0: Yeah, go green with your body.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Now, I, I, as you're speaking, I'm 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 thinking that you know you're you're into a topic, and and you mentioned it that there's going to be um, well a to 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 say it lightly, a certain amount of of controversy and a certain amount of disagreement. Have you found people? either at St. Louis University SLU or or others outside of the university who you're working with in order to to write this dissertation, have people been willing to work with you on this topic or do you sometimes get some resistance from them?
1: Yeah, the perspective from SLU has been mostly supportive. Um, Jeff Bishop is my dissertation mentor. Erica Salter, who does a lot in pediatric ethics and in clinical ethics, she's also been very supportive and um others on my committee Angela Franks over in Boston um she's been very supportive i would say the the biggest hurdle i had so far was um making sure i had a solid grasp on the literature just because this wasn't this particular topic was not one of the you know the common topics we spent a lot of right. reading on in our program so at times i feel like i'm catching up on a lot of reading that maybe i would have had if i was at a different program, but that is not that doesn't mean at all that what I did read at SLU wasn't incredibly valuable. It's just different, um, and my topic is different. Um, so mm-hmm. I've been spending a lot of time reading, um, reading, note taking, and talking with others in the field who are writing on these topics, um, whether in the lens of um, marriage and family or in the lens of um, in the lens of the ideology of control or other things like that. So. Yeah. It's been, it's been mostly supportive. Um, good. yeah,
0: that's good to hear. Has the, um, and, and I'm just going back to writing my own dissertation and, and many other things and, and things that I work on now. Do you find this dissertation, this topic has been easy to write on or more difficult to write on?
1: It, it's not easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not easy. I well writing is nice. I wouldn't say that writing is my uh <laughs> joy. Um, I might be a little eager to go work in ethics and a little less eager to write. It's a lot easier to attend another consult than it is to sit down and, you know, put coherent thoughts together on paper.
0: <laughs> it um, is a skill and <laughs> a process. Is, it is
1: a skill. I know. People who publish a lot, I good for you. I mean, I'm I'm impressed and we need you. Um Yeah. So I would say it's difficult, but it is, it's valuable. And I've been told on multiple occasions, the best dissertation is a done dissertation. So I'm keeping that in mind and balancing that with my interest in, you know, making a meaningful argument and, and sharing what I want to share.
0: Yeah. I'll give you the advice that the only bit of advice that my dissertation director gave me and all he said was, Joe, get the dang thing done. (laughs) Yeah. that's, That's That's good advice that's the big thing to do now you, you started talking about this a little bit before but but what do you hope to achieve through this work that you're doing
1: mm-hmm. yeah i have thought a lot a lot about this and i would say what i hope to achieve is for one or two more clinicians to bring natural family planning and fertility awareness or fertility appreciation methods into their into their spectrum of care I mean it's it's such a valuable option for patients, whether patients who can't do can't use um, hormonal contraceptives for medical reasons, or patients who just don't want to, or patients who you know have religious reasons why they they want alternative methods. But maybe there's no provider in the area that offers them this type of alternative, or even patients who prefer a naturopathic perspective to healthcare, as you know, questionable as that can be sometimes. Um, but these methods are, while they don't have the, the, the abundance of literature that contraceptive methods do, the literature is growing and becoming better. The studies are improving. Um, we're seeing that with Marguerite Duane and mm-hmm. the FACS organization that, that her and others are working on. So it's, it's becoming more and more um, supported, I, I would say, from a medical perspective and I think this this types of in, this type of information needs to be shared with patients, especially patients that share with their providers that they care about um, organic options. You know, whether I mentioned earlier, whether organic feminine products, or they shop at Whole Foods, or or even Aldi in St. Louis has a lot of organic foods nowadays. So these types of patients, I mean, when when providers hear that. Um, health from a nutritional perspective is very important to them, and that is a stated value or a stated goal. Um, that I think that's something to explore in the spectrum of their their reproductive health and their fertility care. So, yeah, I, I mean, if if one more physician involves these methods in his or her spectrum of care, I think that would that would that would mean that some some good was done.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking too that I, I'd be willing to bet that there would be physicians and and other clinicians within organizations like the Catholic Medical Association uh, who mm-hmm. are already doing this who would be who would love to have you know the updated or, or latest research that you know that this work uh, could provide for them so that definitely you know that might be another uh, that might be another avenue I've even told you too I said you know when the when it gets done I think the NCBC might be interested in publishing it so <laughs> so now that's out there in the in the podcast world so. So now you got to get the darn thing done. So one last question on it, and very practical one: How far are you along on this dissertation, and when are you going to defend it?
1: Mm-hmm. So i i were I wrote um, one chapter last year that is a draft. And I'm also working on the prospectus, so I'm ahead in one sense, and I'm behind in another sense because I would have liked to get my prospectus done a couple months ago. Um, but with my my husband and I both working from home, you know, life has changed a little bit, and oh, yeah, Yeah. but um, yeah. So prospectus is in progress, but I, I do have a draft of a chapter done, and considerable research has been done, even if the writing isn't isn't there to accompany it yet. So. Um, that's where I'm at, and I would love to finish it. Hopefully, by late summer um, of 2021.
0: Very good. All right. So I, I asked this of a number of guests when they come on our podcast. I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball a little bit, and as you as you look to the future, I'm wondering what things excite you about Catholic healthcare ethics moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing that really excites me about Catholic healthcare ethics, both now and in the future, is the dynamic and diverse perspective of questions that we get to and encounter. Um, I was telling my husband just the other day that in the 11-hour drive we had coming home from Colorado, that I, I got to work on a consult. I got to work on a policy. I got to... Um, work on ethics education for our ethics committee chairs across the region. And I got to address other little ethics questions um, through our organization and the dynamism of what that, of what that work is just in terms of the work, but also what you, what you're contributing to in terms of impact. I mean, working with legal from a policy perspective, working with our clinicians and our care staff, working with our ethics committee leaders, working with the pastoral care um, providers. I mean, that, that is a lot in, in terms of our ministry, you know, and I think that the work that ethicists and mission leaders are doing can have a, a very positive impact if we, you know, are, are, are giving it our all, but also involving as many, as many units in our organization as we can. So that's one. Another thing that excites me about Catholic healthcare ethics is. Also, one thing that concerns me, um, you know, we we're in a day and an age where religious persecution may be subtle or it may be overt, um, and there's an ever-present question of how we provide excellent care, how we contribute to the healing ministry of Jesus in in the context of a pluralistic society. You know, we we hire people who aren't Catholic and. They have wonderful skills to contribute to our ministry. We serve people who aren't Catholic or, or maybe have no faith. And there's a there's a significant challenge to maintain integrity to our mission, our values, and um, the context of our faith tradition, but also providing meaningful care to people who don't understand it or don't care about it. Um, so I think that's that's a massive challenge that we've been facing for years. Um, But it's, it's a challenge that will continue. And I think it's, it's both exciting and intimidating at times as well.
0: Yeah. As you were speaking, I was, I just kind of reflecting on our, our own work here at the NCBC and many of the things that you say are, are things that just, you know, that, that I absolutely love about my job, particularly the, you know, the consults Um, Mm -hmm. we, we do about, oh, geez, we do a lot of consults. I mean, I was just on consult duty the other day and I think I had 10, 10 or 11 in one day. And they're just fascinating to be able to, yeah. to you know, they're all different and being able to work with people and, and hopefully help them. And then, you know, just the, you know, working with different organizations and, and different um, healthcare systems or, or other organizations who we probably shouldn't mention here, but, you know, just being able to do that, it's really exciting, but also the concern that you have, because I, I mean, I'm looking at my crystal ball and I, you know i'm very worried about uh you know the future of our country the future of our of our culture religious liberty issues conscience rights issues particularly mm-hmm. in terms of of healthcare yeah. and and the fact that you know there's well it, let's just let's just leave it at that there's there's a lot of challenges out there that mm-hmm. uh that that can really have some profoundly negative effects as we move forward in the future so I think there's probably going to be jobs for ethicists, <laughs> at least for the for the yeah. near future. I yeah, hope.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought consults too, Joe because um, I will say that's that's one one thing that really struck me with some of the first consults I participated in was um, the fact that at times we're we're dealing with people's lives and not just. Yeah. A moment in their lives, but a really important moment in, in their lives. You know, oftentimes the moment that characterizes a significant experience in their life that will impact them and their families. And um, you know, we're entering into that at, in in into that space, which may be incredibly vulnerable um, for these patients. And that's that's both a, a a blessing to be there, but also an incredible um, burden and challenge. And. Um, I think it it's it's very humbling to to be in that position, you know, where you're walking with people in very vulnerable times and um the the folks in academia but also in healthcare ethics who are writing on the need for virtues and um virtues cultivation in healthcare ethics I think is incredibly valuable because um a lot of the work that ethics and mission leaders are doing used to be and often still is done by um, religious persons by our sisters our priests our brothers and it's um it's daunting to think that as some of those religious orders are are dying out or or not accepting new postulants that that we're kind of stepping in in that place and I look at myself I look at you know my faith life and the adoration hours I do or don't attend and i I'm very humbled and I think you know a lot of the cases that we get I I'm I'm drawn or I'm reminded that I need to hit my knees <laughs> and offer this up and it isn't just, you know, a doctorate degree that's going to equip me to be an ethicist. It's it's a, you know, a strong relationship with Christ that needs a lot of work on its own, you know, on my my own personal level so that I'm I'm humbled when I can't answer something and I I lean on our our care team um, who who understands the patient often better than I do and you know, collaborate in a meaningful way that affords solidarity with our care team as well as with the 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 people we're serving. So a lot of humility here, definitely. and um, entering into that field, I would say that's that's Im- that's important um, to acknowledge that you you don't know what you don't know and it's okay to ask questions. Um, but also, you know, recognizing that we're dealing with big things, you know. (laughs) This isn't just um this isn't just a new product, you know, that we're selling anymore. This is this is people's lives. So and and as I mentioned earlier, like with Dr. Pellegrino talking about, you know, we're not just dealing with the biomedical. We're also dealing with the spiritual and we're dealing with patients as humans and also with the goals and values that they have. Um so embracing that with humility and fortitude and courage. I think those are all, all very important.
0: Very, very well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I second and third, everything, (laughs) everything just stated. Uh, Excellent. Um, So what are the, you, you you talked about a little bit employment prospects. So what do you, what are your employment prospects? Do you see um, healthcare ethicist as a viable employment option for you in the future?
1: Yeah, um, I'm. I'm glad you asked, Joe. So as I'm as I'm working on my dissertation and nearing the end of, of graduate school, I am I'm definitely on the job market now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I've been been considering you know what what's out there and what might be out there, and I see a lot of roles for um, mission directors or mission leaders, and some of those may involve ethics, some of those may not involve ethics. I definitely want to work um, at least. For my first job post postgraduate school in this, in this new career, I definitely want to work more in a clinical ethics space. Um, so whether that's as a clinical ethicist, whether that's as an ethics manager, or an ethics director, depending on the size of the system and um, where, I, where I would be, all of those are, are opportunities that I'm looking at. I mean, it would be great if SSM just says, hey, you just want to stay on and <laughs> not have to move. That would be wonderful. Um, but you know, whatever happens, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity I've had here with SSM and all the wonderful people I I've had the opportunity to work with. Um, but my husband and I have definitely embraced the reality that working in this field will likely mean that we move. And, um, I love that idea because as much as I love St. Louis, I also like other places. So, um, we're definitely open to moving where that might be, we don't know yet, but um, we're excited to see what what God has in store for us.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Be open to the move. My wife and I have moved numerous times, and it's 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 all been good. So I would uh, I would encourage you to 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 uh, listen to what the Lord is saying and and go where He wills you to go. So as we as we move to the to conclude our interview, what advice would you give to a young person, or maybe a not so young person, who is thinking about a career? in Catholic healthcare ethics. What would you say to them? What should they do? Mm -hmm.
1: First, I would say, talk to people. I mean, this is a dynamic field. And some of the roles in this space require a lot of education. So um, talk to people, ask questions, find ethicists, find mission leaders, and ask them what they do. Um, Ask them what they like and what they don't like about their job, how they got there, what's challenging, what's rewarding. Um, And learn. I mean, I think that was the most valuable thing I could have done um, because you, you learn so much about the roles, but you also learn and imagine, you know, how does that fit within my education and experience and with what I feel God is calling me to? And also, you know, am I equipped for these things? if I hate confrontation and I'm really bad at confrontation, this is probably not a good, a good space, you know, because you will be put in, in difficult situations and called out and, and challenged. Um, or if that's something you're willing to work on, good luck, you know? Um, and there, there's so many different, different um, challenges and skills. And honestly, having a, a broad perspective among our ethicists across the system is is amazing and valuable and we definitely lean on each other. I mean as we as we write new policies, you know, we talk with each other and figure out what, you know, what is this system doing and what is that system doing? And, you know, how can we how can we collectively do this better? Um, and it, it is so first, yes, talk to people and and learn about the different roles and, and about the field. Second, I would say it's a pretty small field. I mean, while it's growing, you can attend a CHA theology and ethics colloquium or the chiefs conference that happened a couple of weeks ago and see most of the people across the country who do the work that you do, which is amazing. Um, and also it also means that it isn't a huge field. Um, you know, it's definitely growing, um, but I've, I've, I'm coming from a, a career in project management where in St. Louis, there are probably as many jobs as there are across the country in ethics and mission. So, um, you know, it isn't like the, while the demand is growing, because we do have um, many ethics and mission leaders retiring, I wouldn't say it's growing at a, an incredibly huge rate, um, at least talking from the perspective of, of myself and other colleagues and, and classmates who are in the job space right now. Um, but it is it is a really incredible field in that we do share with each other and we learn from each other and we give presentations at conferences to share what we're doing, to dialogue, to learn. I think that's a really valuable and unique phenomenon about ethics and mission is that we do share and there's a, there's a sense of collegiality that maybe isn't present in other fields. So- mm-hmm. Um, we definitely learn and grow together um, as we as we do the the ministry of ethics.
0: Yeah, maybe this podcast is an example of that collaboration yes, too. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Kirsten, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today?
1: I think we covered a lot. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> we did.
1: Yeah. I would say, I mean, for for people who are discerning this, um, I mean in when I was an undergrad, I had no idea this existed. And, um, so for folks who are in the field, if that's important to you to share and and to grow the field, um, I mean, sharing, you know, within your circles of influence is, is valuable because we do want ethics to be around and we do want there to be people to fill the jobs and, and to continue this ministry. Um, so sharing and also giving, um, giving that extra time to someone you can mentor. I would say that's been incredibly valuable and helpful for me. Um, so I feel like whenever I get my, my first job in this new career, I will be much more, um, or I will be able to contribute much more than I otherwise would have without the mentorship of folks at SSM. So giving of that, I know we're all very busy. Um, but Mentoring someone, I think, is, is very valuable and meaningful for the field as a whole, whether that person ends up working for you or working for somewhere else. Um, since it is such a small field, our paths do cross multiple times, and um, it's a valuable contribution. So that would be one. Um, second, to all those who are um, writing and encouraging ethicists and mission leaders to... Um, you know, deep in their faith lives and to cultivate virtues. Please continue to write on those things because we need them. Um, they're very important, and um, the the gravity of some of the uh, some of the issues that we're tackling is is weighty, and um, we need to lean on lean on Christ because it is he, His healing ministry that we're trying to to serve.
0: Kirsten, how can people get in touch with you if they wish to do so?
1: Yeah. So um, I can be reached either on LinkedIn or at um, the following email address, kirsten.demsey at slu.edu. That's K-I-R-S-T-E-N dot D-E-M-P-S-E-Y at S-L-U E-D-U.
0: Very good. Kirsten Dempsey, thank you for joining us today on our Bioethics On Air podcast.
1: Thank you, Joe.
0: For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics On Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you have suggestions for future topics, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot.com at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcasts, please go to our website, hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button, and then click Bioethics On Air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening today and may God's peace be with you.